Psychomedy is brought to you by ThreadUp, Manchester-based therapy that supports creativity. I'm Rafaela Nunes, the founder of ThreadUp and the counsellor supporting the creative community. Comedians and creatives in general can experience anxiety, depression, low moods, and this in turn can affect their creativity. One-to-one counselling can facilitate a safe space for creatives to explore any difficulties, to gain self-awareness, to develop strategies that work, and ultimately to create choices that are aligned with the natural creative flow. If you're in need of support, then please get in touch. Visit threadup.co.uk to book your counselling sessions at reduced rates when you quote Psychomedy. of Psychomedy. I'm Nathan Cassidy, stand-up comedian and Bachelor of Science in Psychology, a degree I've almost entirely forgotten, but it gives a tiny bit of credibility to me discussing the psychology of stand-up comedy with today's very special guest, the brilliant and very lovely Anavab Pal. <laughs> Hello, Anavab. So, as usual, in Psychomedy, we won't be looking at each other for the duration of the chat. We are relaxed here. Anavab has his feet up. There was a little bit of thought as to whether he would put his feet up, but his feet are up. And he's laying back, maybe asleep already. He's just come back from Edinburgh. Very tired. How are you feeling today, Anavab? Um, I'm I'm all right, Nathan. I this is this is I have to say this is really comfortable. And I'm sure <laughs> I've heard some of your other guests and I and I can see how they sort of lounge in and and share secrets uh, i don't have that kind of insight i'm just a <laughs> middle-aged tired man <laughs> well fall asleep fall asleep so we um we've been talking with a few american comedians i have american friends where psychoanalysis and uh, this kind of thing therapy is a big part of their culture um less so in the uk how is it in india in terms of uh, in terms of therapy and do you have any experience yourself in this kind of setup? Well, I think uh, <laughs> not being from a sort of first world advanced culture with mental health issues, I think we really need some serious mental health professionals. <laughs> uh, so if, if, if you know of groups of people that want to live in a hot country <laughs> uh, that has an economy growing at 7%, <laughs> you know, that please send them our way. Um, it's a new profession. And we were not ready for the, an audience as large as it turned out to be. So, nor were we ready for the sort of mental trauma, anguish, effect on family, uh, financial things that come with this sort of deluge of freelance petty stardom, you know. Um, <laughs> so, we're all grappling with it. I think it helps... I got into comedy at 33, I'm 43 now, yeah. um, I'm 31, and I'm, I think it helps having not done this in my 20s. Yeah. Um, I had a script writing life, and I used to work as a business journalist. I had pretty much a 
normal is not the right word, but a a profession where I met human beings on a daily <laughs> basis, and 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 as did you, Nathan, right? Like the, the, yeah. it was a world where you know you were surrounded by some sort of community, uh, even though the workplace is not really a trusted shared community because we're all kind of trying to get promotions and get paid more than other people so it's a very hostile community but yeah there were other human beings and having a taste of that and having lived a normal life and bought a house and got married and stuff i got into comedy at least having experienced some of that so when i saw this alternative life of you know going to work at eight o'clock at night (laughs) <laughs> spending entire days in world cities that you don't know on your own, mm. not talking to anyone and then going and talking to 500 people and then going and talking to no one for the next three days. Yeah. At least you know what normal life looked like. <laughs> so there was some balance or adjustment to that insanity. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I think a lot of my colleagues and friends in India did not have that. They were, yeah. A lot of them were YouTube stars and, you know, they 17, 18, come out of college yeah. Put up some comedy videos and suddenly you're a celebrity and you're flying around and you're probably single, although I don't know if that has any effect on anything, but you're not ready for what happens to your mental health. So mm. I still talk to a lot of friends and colleagues who, breakdown is not the right word, but who are always on the edge of something. Right. Saying, ah, oh, I think I'm just going to burn down my house. <laughs> I don't know what that is, but... <laughs> I think it's hard when you're 24, 25 in a culture where this has just suddenly exploded. And we haven't had the benefit of what you've had, which is at least 40, 50 years of this with, you know, enough comedians giving up or succeeding and balancing or jumping out of a window. You know, like there is a, <laughs> a tradition of stuff that people have dealt with and, and a, if nothing else, a chronology in a body of work with mental health issues. We're starting at ground zero. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, that's something I think about a lot in terms of my past and my grounding and how that makes me different as a as a stand up. And uh, yeah, so so we do share a, a kind of common a common background. You mentioned the playwriting. You mentioned the the working in banking. So was it it was banking that you were working in for? That's correct. Yeah. I I worked in. Uh... I worked for a bank called Prudential Securities for two and a half years and then became a, a journalist, a business journalist for Reuters covering the banking sector. Right. So I used to write about mergers and acquisitions. Mm. Um, so I, I used to work in the mergers and acquisitions department at Reuters as well as write about it. Yeah. And was stand-up on your mind then as you were working there or, or not at all? So I was writing plays. Uh, I was at the time... I had uh, gone to college in the United States and I was working in the United States for a short while. Mm. And I had written a few plays that were getting produced. Mm. So by day I was at Reuters and by night I was in rehearsals for these plays. Um, But never stand-up, as in they were comic plays and... Mm. It's what I was doing. I, I've got a weird sense that we are the same person. We are exactly the same person. Parallel lives. We've done playwriting, banking... Um, I, I've always I'm known for a fact that there is a much better looking version of me <laughs> who is f- funny, witty, actually humorous. And it was funny to, to finally meet that person at Backyard <laughs> Comedy Club last year. Yeah. 
I think I think there's a film in this. Yeah, let's yeah. Stop the podcast. Let's start writing this film. <laughs> I believe Netflix are looking for stuff at the moment. Um, so when you were working in banking, so stand, you say stand up wasn't wasn't on your mind. When I was working in banking, it was, and it added to my kind of mental health pressures and my stress in terms of this isn't a job I want to be doing. Was there any sense of that while you were doing that or because you were playwriting at the same time you were creatively fulfilled at that time? No, exactly like you. It was exactly the same. Mm. I was really unhappy, but I come from, you know, a, a sort of a, a cultural background where stability is very important. So, uh, you know, it wasn't like my parents were very conservative traditional Asian parents mm. uh, in terms of like, you must do these professions. But because my father had lived a lot of his life on the ships um, and my mother worked in TV for a while. So they both were very different from very traditional Indian parents. But okay. stability was important. Like they, they, they said, whatever you picked, like journalism and banking were things they understood because mm. they came with jobs. Now the world is so fractured. You could live off an app, you know, <laughs> you could... You could design video games from a basement and be much wealthier than an investment banker. Mm. That world didn't exist, right? So, mm. um, and a religious upbringing, or not very, not no. very, not at all. I'd say okay. I live in a very religious country. Yeah, I'm surrounded by a lot of religion. I went to quite a conservative Protestant school in a communist state. Uh, in otherwise a very Hindu country. Mm. <laughs> so it was all around, but uh, not in, at home. Mm. Um, my grandmom was quite uh, a devout Hindu uh, lady, but she passed away when I was very young. So uh, mm. my parents weren't particularly religious, but more than that, it was just get a job that has some sort of stability. Mm. Um, and if, for example, I said, look, I'm, I want to be a playwright, and I've been employed by the National Theatre to write a play every month for which they'll pay every month for the rest of my life. They'll be like, great, be a playwright. You know, like yeah. something that came with some sort of monthly income was their interest. Yeah. Um, so that drove me to study finance. But I went to a small liberal arts college in the US where I think I'm the only person in, their, in the entire history of the college to have graduated with a double degree in accounting and dramatic writing. Oh, nice. They've, my professors told me not only have they never had two people do these degrees, they've never had two people walk between those two buildings. <laughs> this accounting was a particular kind of building. God, accounting is particularly... God, that that's, couldn't be more different from stand-up. I did a bit of accounting at university as well. Are we the same person? We are essentially the same person. I but, found accounting awful just... Uh, it was those kind of things that made me think this isn't the life I want to be living. There's another life I want to be living. And I was doing the same as you, doing other things and then having to do accounting and banking for the, for the money. Yeah. And that's, so you were kind of, at those times, you were, you were thinking there's another life for me. I don't want to be doing this. Exactly. And yeah. the people, you know, like when I'd meet the people at rehearsals or now the people I meet in Edinburgh are the people I want to be with. Yeah. And I felt like at home with this community, however insane <laughs> our yeah. community is. I just didn't... For example, if you worked in banking and you told them on a Monday, what did you do this weekend? They said, oh, I went to see a play, right? <laughs> Their first question was, where did you sit? 
Like it was very important for them that the tickets cost a lot of money and you sat in an important place. I just didn't view the world like that. Like in my head, I just didn't see, didn't matter where you sat, you know, it, nobody asked what the story of the play was. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the way they looked at the world was not how I looked at the world. Um, mm. So it was similar, right? I, I, like you, I felt trapped in that. I didn't quite know whether I wanted to perform comedy, but I definitely knew I wanted to... I was already writing plays that were comedy, but I wanted to be in a writing environment yeah. with, with just, to me, what felt like normal people, artists. You know, I just, I just found the banking environment very abnormal mm. and artificial. In fact, there was so much more performance <laughs> in my day job Everyone walking at night in the morning, <laughs> pretending like they liked it. <laughs> yeah. And, and a certain kind of pretense with each other. Absolutely. Um, That's interesting. You, you flip between saying it's normal and abnormal. That world is regarded as normal and stand-up is regarded as abnormal. But for you and us as stand-ups, it's normal to be in, as you say, that in, this insane world of, of stand-up and much more at home. I, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I, I found a lot of people in comedy, you know, I found, when I say insane people in comedy, I haven't met anyone in comedy who's been not them, himself or herself, like not disingenuous, you know, like they'd come out and tell you crazy things about themselves. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I took off all my clothes or I jumped off a bridge or I got married this morning or whatever. Like, but yeah. they'd be honest about it. Yeah. In the workplace... I worked for years with people and I don't think I know them at all. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. I don't think they said one thing to me. We, all of us said one thing to each other that was honest. Because yeah. we were all, you know, not want to get laid off. Or <laughs> Most of the time it was that. Like, yeah. wanted to come off as like better than the colleague because next time there is a round of layoffs, you don't want to be one of the layoff people. So yeah. we're all just acting. Yeah, oh, that's yeah, that's so interesting. It brings back a lot of memories of my <laughs> my time in banking. Um, yeah, and that's what I really love about you in terms of and and people like you. You know, I have a real affection for you in terms of just you can look look at you and look into your eyes, and you can you know, there's a real truth there, and um, uh, you know, it's just a beautiful person inside. I talked with Patrick Monaghan mm -hmm. on a previous episode, and he's very much a glass half full, or in his case completely full, brimming <laughs> over. Um, is that you as well now in, in terms of being a positive person? Or I don't expect you to be anywhere near Pat's level of positivity, <laughs> but having been through a job maybe you didn't want to be doing and now you're doing a job you want to be doing, is that is that you now positive or not? You know, I don't think I could ever go back to... I mean, uh, the life of... I mean, I guess the way we live, like freelance artists... Mm. There is a certain thing about we actually don't know where we're going to be tomorrow, right? Mm. Like we could be, I mean, there are certain things you're actively doing. Like say you're writing a script or you're doing a podcast, you know, right? I'm doing this sort of thing. But Nathan, you and I could be in Mumbai at a gig <laughs> in a week. You Let's know hope I mean? so. Let's talk of that. <laughs> yeah. But, but that sort of uncertainty yeah. I have come to love. Yeah. Um, and I know it can go either way, you know, the, the, the phone, <laughs> when I was quitting my job, um, my ex-boss, who I really admire, and I said, you know, I want to do this, that, or the other, and he said, well, 
is there any demand for your comedy? <laughs> and he was a very business question. And I said, well, you know, some people are calling and asking, you know, if I can do this, that or the other. And he said, well, then just keep doing it till the phone stops ringing. <laughs> so it's been 10 years and through the week, at least a couple of calls, you know, the phone rings. <laughs> so I'm going to follow Neil's advice, the phone stops coming. But it's very hard to go back or think about any sort of negativity, yeah. as long as the phone is ringing, and as long as, you know, there are certain topics <laughs> that, you know, whether it's it's empire or our relationship with Britain, or there are certain topics just as a narrative storytelling thing, I'm mm. very interested in, you know, <laughs> particularly our shared history and yeah. um, the English language and, and, and uh, you know, there's n no other way to... It's almost impossible to stop writing mm. those things. Um, yeah. It'll be funny having those business people in a stand-up environment and giving us maybe appraisals every year. We should, we should have that. Is there any <laughs> demand for your comedy at the moment, Nathan? Not really, but I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so you talk about the um, British Empire there, and you obviously talk about that in, in your set, and uh, it's always brilliant. Uh, for anyone that hasn't heard your stuff, uh, we've got a little clip here from a BBC New Year show in the last year, I think, where you talk about the British Empire coming to an end. It was going well, it was going fine. Suddenly, 1947, middle of the night, you guys just left. <laughs> just ran away. World's first Brexit. Leaving a generation of Indians, like my father, sounding like this. <laughs> like a love child of Downton Abbey and a Bangalore call centre. There seems to be demand for your comedy there, Anavab, I think. I think I'm going to give you a five in your appraisal this year. <laughs> and, a, and a bonus. <laughs> well, that's... I could do... You know what's uh, interestingly that... Uh, got recorded at uh, Broadcasting House for mm. the radio, and uh, you know I was a bit worried because there's a lot of history in that little bit. You, one has to know that Britain left suddenly, etc. Mm. But luckily, it was a noon recording, and mm. most of the people in there were uh, sort of slightly mature retired people. <laughs> so and it was free. <laughs> So, so I think, yes, there was demand, but it was mm. demand organized by the producers for circumstance. <laughs> yeah. So luckily, we got a group of people of a certain age mm. who like this sort of story. So it was just mm. a confluence of two things. So you might find me going down to a, 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 a three in my next year's review. <laughs> Depending where you play. Do you have different worries and different angst in terms of different audiences when you look out? before the show or maybe different countries even in your case yeah Nathan I have to I mean you know for example I go back to India day after tomorrow oh. and I have some shows that are not even in English yeah. I have to do three shows in another language and sometimes I have to play two different languages in two different parts of India um, so I usually do them in two languages in India Hindi and Bengali Bengali is in the east of India, where my parents live, and their sense of humor is a bit different. It's more subtle. It's more English in that way. And then there's a contemporary India show I do in Mumbai, which is, you know, the commercial capital and, you know, jokes about here and now and what's going on in India now and, you know, 
Tinder in India and what's going on with <laughs> Tinder <laughs> Tinder <laughs> that should be an app <laughs> that should be a, yeah that that but that kind of stuff here and now stuff you know where is modern India mm. how do we use Twitter that kind of stuff yeah and then there's a completely different set about Britain's relationship with India that I'm able to do in the West mm. so yeah I mean <laughs> I'll tell you a story I was uh, a colleague of mine and i kunal kamra is a very big indian comedian um were, were we, we were asked to do a corporate show in pune which is a city that's near mumbai and right. we were just told there will be non english speakers right so this was for a an automobile spare parts company and we thought okay non english speakers so in mumbai so we'll do half an hour we'll prepare in hindi right so that won't be a problem uh we've done this many times before so we show up at this uh, basically it was a sales conference and the automotive company was honda and the entire senior management were japanese <laughs> so when they said non english they meant that it's japanese audience and the hindi speaking audience so but the japanese audience understood some parts of english Mm. So we did we'd have to do all the jokes in Hindi first <laughs> get all the sort of you know factory workers laughing at the back <laughs> while all the senior japanese people just sat there quietly <laughs> then we redid it in english then the senior people laughed and no one at the back laughed <laughs> wow i've got some work to do if i do some gigs out in india you know the people all over the world are the same and i'm very grateful for that quality from my parents. Yeah. Um so quite quite a happy stable childhood and then going into banking and and being a playwright. What do you think was the was the trigger that got you into stand up then and uh, at the age of what 31? <sighs> I did have a I'm just trying to think back, you know, um having an only child, mm. um my dad was away in the sh- uh, in the ships a lot. Yeah. Um so yeah, I I grew up quite with my mum and my grandma so it's quite common for our sort of grandparents to live with us mm. in a house um it's it actually it's perfectly common for indian men to live at home till they're 50 60 mm. you know the, the particularly if they're stand up comedians yeah yeah <laughs> yeah i i'd be i'd very happily move back home <laughs> you know i don't think they'll have me anymore there's It's, a lot of successful stand up comedians in this country still living with their parents really oh yeah eddie is out one of them no probably not <laughs> <laughs> i would i'd love to yeah but i think my parents see the bbc clip now and say now get out and get your own house <laughs> um so and we live in different cities so it'd be hard so again at at 30 30 in your early 30s what was the what was the trigger that made you do your first gig oh a, switch from yeah switch from playwriting to to stand up i'd have to say it's the comedy store of london setting up in mumbai mm. so i'd gone to do an article on whether english comedy would work in india mm. and at the time i was a scriptwriter i was writing scripts and don ward who ran the comedy store was living in mumbai setting this place up and he said i'm not going to give you an interview um i've been told that you write comedy movies mm. i want you to go up there and do 5 minutes of stand up so i said when he said now <laughs> i said what he said yeah i want you to go up right now and talk for 5 minutes into the microphone in my new club which we're sitting on that I've just built. I said okay. 
And That's I great. did that, and he said, "Okay, come back in the evening." No, he did say, "No, he said this was rubbish." <laughs> I said, "Yeah, because I've come for a different reason, <laughs> and I'm not a comedian." He said, "This was awful." I said, "Yeah." <laughs> he said, "But I, I come think back." Don Ward the... might have said something similar to me once. <laughs> <laughs> you see, <laughs> maybe this is a trend, Nathan. Maybe this is something that yeah. he says to all of us. And he said, "Come back in the evening, and I want you to do this." And then I just thought this would be something to do for fun. I thought it would be five, seven minutes. I'll still have... I always wanted to quit to become a comedy writer. Yeah. I didn't see performances. And comedy writing was tedious because mm. you'd write it, then you'd have to sell it, then you'd have to convince actors why the line was funny and that actors were always changing the lines. And so actors themselves are not funny people. And So was it literally, was it literally Don Ward saying, go and do it? You'd never really thought of doing that? I had done a couple of nights... Uh, in Mumbai, like amateur nights for fun. Oh, okay. okay. Didn't enjoy it really. Um, didn't di- didn't enjoy it, and there was no real setting. You know, like mm. so we do it in bars and clubs, and people weren't interested. And <sighs> so when you stood in front of Dunwall, then what did what did you talk about? What did you did you have anything prepared, or were you kind of talking about things that you were maybe going to use in your writing? It was it was yeah, it was writing stuff, and also really bad. So I had seen a lot of comics I'd really liked. So I had seen, um, in particular, Dylan Moran and Eddie Izzard, and, mm. and I'd seen that kind of style. And I saw that they spoke a lot about history, and mm. and um, and they basically played characters having conversations with each other. Yeah. You know, two characters from history talking to each other. Yeah. yeah. And because I came from a screenwriting background, I knew how to write, I didn't know how to write dialogue well, but I knew what dialogue meant. So I could get two characters to have a conversation. Yeah. So my early stand-up was just those sketches, like Mm. what the early days of Empire must have been, what the first Englishman must have said to the first Indian when he landed. Yeah. It was like tiny little sketches of conversations. Yeah. It was very bad. It was very, very bad. Yeah. Mainly because it wasn't funny. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Don Ward said, I remember. (laughs) That was rubbish. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah. In terms of uh, in terms of gigging, and obviously the comedy store and everywhere I've seen you at, um, you have invariably just torn the roof off. You've been, you know, incredible. You know, we heard the clip there. People love your stuff. However, when I see you come off stage, uh, sometimes, <laughs> um, maybe every time. You don't look completely happy with <laughs> with what you've done. I often look into your eyes and I say, "That was great, wasn't it?" And you and you you look at me and you go, "Ah, oh, mm, nah." <laughs> you, you don't seem happy. What's what's going on there in terms of when you come off stage? Well, that's a great question, Ethan. And you know, I knew that at some point I'd be caught by an intelligent <laughs> observer, um, and we've. we've together quite a few times sometimes like i know in edinburgh nathan you had some great shows and mm. you were kind enough to invite me to a couple of them and and you would storm it and 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 these were bit these were hundreds hundreds 120 which is kind of big for edinburgh and it's uh great reactions yeah carry on yeah exactly and exactly so and you'd storm it and then i'd have 10 minutes and i'd come and do the thing and i look around and i'm thinking um Okay, Nathan's destroyed the room. The other person destroyed the room. I'm just going to ruin this evening now for everyone. And is then, that what you're thinking? Yeah, you're and, getting up. Yeah, and and I 
I don't. I've never. I can never enjoy it. Like I've never. Why do you think that though? Why do you think that? I don't know. I've done maybe uh, over the years now about a thousand shows in all in twelve years, mm. and I don't think I've enjoyed a single one. I mean, <laughs> the clip that you heard, I that day, I think maybe just not enjoying it helps me sort of. I know a broad structure of what I want to say. It never ever goes according to plan. Like something goes off. Like I remember we were doing a a gig in Edinburgh in a in a cavern. Um, it was a very lovely evening. We were in, I think the room was called Maggie's Chamber, mm. and and that night you were destroyed, etc. And then I had a plan to go up and do some slightly different things, and I did. Mm. And there was this couple in the corner, uh, the German couple, that started talking about something. Yeah. And I, I had remember. to address it mm. and say, you know, why are Germans always, you know, invading other people's things? And mm. so then that became a bit. Now it was it was went fine. People laughed, but then I got off stage thinking, oh. God, I got, now why? Where did this come from? Why did this? And then I just, I guess, I because I come from a writing background, I have to be more comfortable with the fact that real life will interfere in performance. Something will happen. Yeah. You know. Um, but it's such a big statement, Anavab, to say you've played these thousands of shows and you haven't enjoyed a single <laughs> one. Not that's one. I mean, do you? Do you do you not get any enjoyment from it? What, before, during and after? No, as in like, you know, the, the adrenaline at the end feels good. And, and it feels good to get a new story out, you know, a new little bit out. Mm. And get it to a shape where people laugh, you know. But I think about the mechanics so much. Yeah. That the, the, the public adulation is of no interest to me. <laughs> There's a zero interest. I, I did, I'm not, I don't dislike people. Like, is that I would, job at the bank still available? I think, should, <laughs> I think you should maybe go back there. You seem happier there. No, and that, like, I love the room, but it takes an amorphous shape. You can't see any of their faces. They're mm. mostly lit in dark red light. Yeah. So what happens to that organism in that room is lovely, whether it's 500 people or 50 people. And if they're riding that wave with you, it feels like music, right? It's lovely. Mm. But... When that thing is over, I'd rather, you know, have a drink with you, you know? Like, yeah. Right. So, I, I mean, obvious question, why do you do it then, if you don't enjoy it? I, I do like the, the mechanics of, of getting a story <laughs> right. I really enjoy that. So you enjoy the process of the writing, I guess, coming from that playwriting background. And I, and I sometimes feel like this, that the process of writing the show is sometimes more enjoyable than the actual performance and as you say the incredible adulation that, that we all get from Don Ward and others <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> is that I the mean, case with you that you're, you're getting that enjoyment from forming those bits and going oh yeah that's good yeah that's the puzzle rather than as you say the German <laughs> man in the audience putting you off yeah and then you're not enjoying it. it's not always Germans but it is it is always Germans to be honest yeah and also you think I, I think your audiences here are very kind like the kind of sort of accidental insults you get in India are great. So <laughs> I'm, I've just realized, I used to accidental initially... Insults? Yeah, initially I used to love the fact that the public liked it. But then I realized that public can be and often are completely crazy. Um, <laughs> I yeah. remember I finished a gig in Mumbai and I left the dressing room and I walked all the way to my car. It was like a big 15-minute walk and a person was chasing me. And he said, listen, I have to tell you something. I have to say something. And I was like, oh, this is really kind. He probably really enjoyed the show. And he comes up to me and he said, I was at the show. I really wanted to talk to you. 
And this is a man who'd kind of stayed half an hour after the show and come all the way to the car park, a 20-minute walk. And he said, I just want to tell you, I'm not a fan. <laughs> and I God, said, Don Ward is cruel. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> changes shapes, changes yeah, age. Yeah. yeah. And he came all the way to just tell me that. And I said, okay, great. So, you know, I've... Uh, does that, I mean, how does that make you feel? Does that, I mean... Does... So, I, you know, that's the thing, is that I've realized that if I hold out for public adulation, mm. you know, that varies on the individual. I mean, you know, it's just very hard to to get an individual to like what I did because... Uh, or I'll give you, you know, this other thing happened to me. I, I was on a flight and a guy said, I love your work. Mm. And for 12 minutes, he described to me the work of a colleague <laughs> that I don't particularly like very much. <laughs> and his work is nothing like mine. And at the end of it, I said, oh, yeah, uh, but what do you think of the comedy of this guy? <laughs> and I mentioned my bit. And he said, oh, I hate that guy. <laughs> as you know, as having had moments like this in India, I was just like, yeah. I'm, I'm just done with with." public you know what the public mm. it's really nice though if a friend or a colleague says they liked a bit mm. you know it's really nice to, to hear from mm. people in this line of work uh, who I admire whose work I admire to say I really enjoyed that you know to have yeah. somebody come and say oh you tried this new bit that really means a lot to me um, yeah. because like in any industry I'm learning right like that's like you know if you are I don't know a chemist or a engineer and you come up with some cool formula to solve mm. something and another scientist looks at it and says oh that's pretty good you know i like that i really <laughs> but but the audiences that i've come across can be completely crazy i mean i had a guy last year in edinburgh who came up to me afterwards and said i loved the show i thought this is the best show i've seen at the fringe and i i looked at the video because that night i had recorded the show i looked at the video and he was asleep for most of it <laughs> Maybe everyone that thinks they enjoy you is actually thinking of someone else. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whatever gives them, yeah. Yeah, well, that's so interesting that you get those pockets. And again, I feel a great affinity to you and a great, yeah, similarity to what you're saying in terms of those moments of happiness come from, yeah, colleagues. When you say you enjoy my work, it gives me a, a great buzz that maybe I, I don't get from the audience. Um, and but that moment at the end must feel good. Like I remember there was yeah. a night at Backyard early when you'd just come off stage and you destroyed the room mm. and people going crazy. And, and, and I said, well, that was fantastic. And, and I know that you, you had that look that this was enjoyable, but you were still processing in your head like what just happened because, yeah, yeah. You just, because it's like playing a great music set. Yeah. That... There almost isn't time to enjoy it because you've just... No, it's seconds. It's seconds of enjoyment. Yeah. And then I'm thinking, like you, what's, what's next? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's cruel, yeah. Yeah, I, I always... But it's still so much better than banking. <laughs> oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. Even though that was so much more stable and... You, well, yeah, maybe we did have people coming up to us. But, saying we were awful then as well. <laughs> but 
but i mean there is a kind of honesty though in this job mm. you know like i've realized yeah. the jokes that have not worked have nothing to do with jokes it's because they could see i was dishonest yeah that the narrative in the narrative i was dishonest yeah i mean it's so interesting particularly those things around enjoyment <laughs> <laughs> you often have to question people will question why you do it but you just have to say i do love it yeah i do love it but then they say which bits of it do you love and you go oh that's a trickier question <laughs> and you're saying oh i enjoy when i can link these two bits of material and another colleague says it's good that bit well that's a second out of the whole year yeah that's why i love it (laughs) the rest is awful yeah traveling around playing to germans (laughs) (laughs) yeah exactly all of that but also like for example you know if they took it all away like mean like for example if there was an award that says world's greatest comedian nathan cassidy right they give Mm. you an award on a saturday for Mm. if there was such an award Mm. you would still wake up on sunday and write (laughs) you know what i mean like Yeah. This is not like sport. You wouldn't just put up that award and be like I'm now the world's greatest comedian and never write again. Yeah. You yeah, so we'll still go back to that tinkering and it'll drive us mad, you know, to fix the bit, but we'll still do it. Yeah. Is it is there an ambition then in terms of the heights that your material can get, you know, from an analytical perspective? You you know, you mentioned, you know, some great stand-ups that have maybe inspired you. Do you have that ambition that uh, possibly i do in terms of legacy and being regarded uh, in the same way as these great names um you know i do but in terms of the material you know like mm. i mean <laughs> i'll tell you what i mean like you show up in a country and you have to be an indian comedian right and you have say an hour and a half about the empire right mm. which is a an old connection between britain and india okay you do that for a year and a half two years that game is up so who else are you now you know who are you now yeah you know and what what authority do you have to speak on certain subjects you know like if you're going to suddenly start talking about the tube you bring nothing <laughs> to a, to an international audience right you bring nothing your perspective is hackney lame and many brilliant local comedians have much better observations because they live it every day mm. so what are you now observing you know like so mm. that has always been my challenge it's a story challenge right is is you know how are you relevant to and and what of it is just comes from honesty you know like who are you now how have you changed and and is there anything funny in it mm. um and i think i've always believed that if one keeps writing that the the opportunities open you know whether like nathan tomorrow let's say if you want to do live at the apollo mm. it'll all i think come from the narrative like if you're constantly writing and evolving yeah i mean yes of course there's going to be politics and there's going to be some unfairness and you'll switch on the tv and you're like how did he get on apollo he's a convicted <laughs> murderer or whatever right? i'm sure we <laughs> I'm sure we all yeah, think yeah. that, right? I, I, I used to think that watching EastEnders with Leslie Grantham. And he's, a, he's a murderer. Why is he getting the opportunity? At least I haven't killed anyone. <laughs> no, Nathan, you still can't get on a soap. <laughs> it's just exactly. Yeah. It's like there's, a, there's a guy who's killed someone who's on TV. And I'm sitting at home, what's happening? So we always have that, right? There's always going to be this someone's yeah. getting, doing this. I, I, no, I'm happy for all my colleagues on TV there. 
and I'm sure they're very happy. I'm happy. I'm happy with you on this sofa. That's where I want to be. Yeah. So, you know, I, I just, I've also come to realize that thinking about that is just, in, like, it'll just drive us insane. You know, like, yeah. like who suddenly gets what opportunity with what material and, and how you, one may dislike that. And, you know, yeah. I've been pretty much wrong about every call I've made about a colleague's, or not just a colleague, but anyone's work. I've seen and I've said, this person is nonsense. There's nothing that's going to happen. <laughs> and then the next day, that person's face is on Netflix and I'm staring at their special. So I realized that just thinking about that stuff is just going to be crazy. Yeah. So all I can do is just, you know, write and do whatever comes along. Yeah. Okay, let's try and pull this together in the last couple of minutes. I mean, I do think we have lived identical lives. It's, it seems very strange. <laughs> I want to be your best friend. I want to live with you. You understand me. I understand you. We've yeah. had exactly the same background. Correct. Um, I'm already on your couch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Half a stay. Yeah. You get me. I get you. I get you. <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I guess there's, I guess there's little else to say apart from, apart from thank you. And uh, I hope you. I hope you carry on getting absolutely no enjoyment out of stand-up comedy. Thank you. Like me. <laughs> the sheer rigor and drudgery of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but getting these little bits of enjoyment in talking about it. and I have to say, Nathan, one of the things I do love in, in Britain, um, I once uh, did a show in America and I came off and this person says, how was it? And I said, no, it was... Whatever, it was fine. Mm. And the person says, oh, it didn't go well? What happened? Like, <laughs> he missed the irony of, uh, I came off, the first time I did a show in England, I came off and I said that to someone. And they, they said, you're right, it could have been much worse. <laughs> <laughs> make make me a promise it. and I'll make you a promise. Next time we're at Backyard or whatever and we're playing in front of hundreds, yes. 200 people and it goes really well. Yeah. We just look at each other and we go, that was good. I enjoyed that. Yeah. yeah. What is wrong with us in not enjoying that? Why do we look at each other and go, oh, yeah, maybe if only that German hadn't chipped in and it had been absolutely brilliant as well. Oh, mm. why aren't we enjoying it more? What are we doing? Let's go back to banking. We could make a lot of money in banking now. There's a lot of opportunities in banking now. That's absolutely true. So this is a silent pact agreed. We'll yeah. do an irony-free, that was good. Yeah. And two, I th I've come to realize the way streaming platforms are going, mm. I'm a bit concerned there might be more money in comedy than banking. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, not for me, but for people who are getting those opportunities. Oh, yeah. There's, there's so many more opportunities in comedy than, than banking now. And uh, as we said, we should, get that, uh, we should get the appraisals into the comedy world. <laughs> Let me give you my appraisal of this. You are a brilliant stand-up comedian. Thank you for always being brilliant. Thank you for being brilliant here today. And uh, I look forward to being depressed on the circuit with you in the future. Thank you. Thanks, so that is our show for today. But join us again next week for more side comedy on Apple Podcasts, Spotify UK, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you liked it, please give us a five-star review. 
It helps other people find us and only psychopaths leave three-star reviews. Psychomedy was written and presented by me, Nathan Cassidy, BSc in Psychology, and produced and edited by Mike Hanson, BA English for Pop People Productions. Theme music by Mike as well. So that's Psychomedy. Please subscribe, rate, and listen back on all the great episodes so far. Follow us on social media at Pop People UK, at Psychomedy Pod, at Nathan Cassidy, and at Anavab Pal. Thank you so much again, Anavab. Hope you enjoyed that. Did you enjoy it? Loved it. Oh! <laughs> the first thing he's ever loved in comedy. Lots of love to you all. Thanks so much. See you again next time. Pod people.